Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Thank you for joining me for the Washington Update election podcast. I'm Kristen Bulat, and I am excited because Armie Robinson of um, Finseca, formerly AALU, has agreed to join me again today. Um, Armie, as you remember, is our uh, government affairs um, liaison, and he is really spending a lot of time talking to people and listening to conversations about early voting. So Armin and I are going to take a little bit of time today to talk about early voting and what that means. And he's going to tell us when we're going to know who won the presidential election. So. <laughs> I hope we know, Kristen. It's, first of all, it's great to be here. I'm always such an honored guest. And we love our partners at, at NFP and Partners Financial. So thank you for having me. Um, I hope we know election night. And I, as, as those of you have heard some of my presentations recently, I've told you the one state to watch in that regard is Florida because uh, Florida, the polls suggest is tied right now between President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. But if Donald Trump can't win Florida, he likely can't put together the coalition of states to make it to 270 electoral votes, which as everyone knows is the path to the White House. So that's the one to watch. If, if he wins there, then it goes on to other places like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan and uh, pick your state. But if you can't win uh, Florida, no Republican has become president without Florida in their win column. That's that's a very good point. Um, and we've been all hearing about unprecedented numbers of people doing early voting. And something like, as of our recording today on the 23rd of October, there have been roughly 52 million people who across the country who have participated in early voting. Every state currently has early voting open, but what are you hearing? Why do we think that there's such an increased number of people that are doing early voting this time around? The key word you use, Kristen, is, is unprecedented. The pandemic is clearly the factor that's changed this election in a way that hasn't occurred in your lifetime or mine. Um, Two thirds of the 50 states have updated their voting laws this year to allow greater flexibility in early absentee and mail-in voting. Um, and so that's really changed the dynamic. And um, I think there's a very interesting suggestion of partisan split in who wants to vote early versus who wants to vote um, uh, in person, uh, whether that's uh, because of the president's commentary or not, I don't know, but it certainly shows in polls that Democrats are much more enthusiastic about early voting and Republicans are much more are likely to vote on election day. I think it's good uh, PSA here for you and I uh, as engagement uh, geeks in the political process to remind everybody it's really important to vote. I don't care where you live. Um, it's really important to cast your ballot. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, I, I've been using the number less than 100,000 in 2016. I, I saw the, the, in fact, number just today, it was only 77,800 and some odd between Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin that in 2016 turned the election uh, for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. And you know that's a margin that could play out in a lot of different places this year. You see a lot of different dynamism in different states. You were talking about some of the numbers in Texas and, and everybody always wants to know when is Texas and Georgia turning purple uh, as opposed to being like solid red states. I don't know that it'll be this year, but there's a lot of voter enthusiasm out there and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it is. And you know, in 
in sort of the tax world that that I, you and I play in so much, there's sort of this this idea that once you give people something in the tax code, you get a deduction, you get a whatever. It's really hard to take it back. And I was just thinking about you know the fact that so many states have expanded early voting and. No. What do you think will happen going forward? Do you think they'll be able to sort of roll it back or people will say, no, I kind of like voting on a random Wednesday three weeks out? I think it really depends on the aftermath of the election. Um, uh, people are judged or elections are judged by the results. Like almost very few people like the process of our campaigns in America. Um, but, you know, everybody sort of judges the outcome based on based on who won and who lost. And, and to your point, to your opening question of when do we know? So I've talked to a bunch of people who are like, it's great because like on my local elections, I actually got to look up who Armstrong Robinson for city council was. Like it was there with my uh, internet browser and I could look up what they stood for, which you can't do when you're in a voting booth. So some people really like that aspect of it. Um, but as you know, as we were talking about before the show, the, the early voting and vote by mail has two big effects. One is how um, how the ballot is submitted. And we were talking about Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has a vote by mail system where it's a dual envelope. So you have the ballot, you have a privacy envelope, and you have the addressed envelope that you returned it in. I haven't actually seen the ballot, but it's already been the subject of a court case. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that if you don't return the ballot with that privacy envelope in there, your vote doesn't count. And so like those kinds of things, if people feel disenfranchised by the process, they're not gonna like it. If they love the convenience and it works out really well, um, then I think they're gonna like it. And like you said, I think they'll, they'll keep it. But the other part of it is the counting. And um, different states there, I think there are a dozen or so that allow the, the uh, early votes to begun being counted before election day. There are at least 20 that you can't start until election day. And there are at least a handful, I can't name them off the top of my head, where you can postmark it on election day. So it won't even be received for several days afterwards. Um, and that could delay the results. And so if we if we all have to wait around, we're used to everybody like coloring their map in on the big boards on CNN or, or Fox News um, on election night. And if that it, like proves wrong or sets unrealistic expectations, I don't know if people will like it as much. But it's a really interesting facet, just like in life insurance. You know, we've we responded by modernizing in so many ways. Um, and I think there's a lot of good that can be kept and, and made permanent for our, for our future. Mm -hmm. I was I was thinking about the fact that Pennsylvania specifically has this new sort of complicated system. And and, you know, you pointed out earlier, it doesn't really matter if California had a really complicated system. We're pretty sure we know how California is going to vote. But for Pennsylvania, it's could be potentially very dispositive. And, you know, that. I think that question of each state has their own rules and, and it's very sometimes complex, but will have a lot of impact is, is really interesting when you think about that question of when are we going to know and, and what are people going to do going forward. And so, you know, as we also, though, talked about the undecideds, all six of them. Um, <laughs> And and the fact that this really you were saying that this is really a turnout election, right? Do you want to go into that a little bit more? Sure. So the new so it used to be on poll in polling they would ask you know who are you going to vote for the new popular question um, to try to get it this there's this famous uh, discussed Trump undercount the notion that 
um, Kristen may secretly love the president, but she doesn't want to admit that to anybody else. Um, so she doesn't report adequately in, in a poll or accurately in a poll. And so they've started asking, um, apparently, just the cycle. They ask who you're going to vote for, but they also ask who's your neighbor going to vote for? Because the notion is you're more willing to report on someone else's behalf. Um, but I agree, there are very, very few undecideds and there are very, very few split tickets. Uh, the Pew Institute uh, just released a study this fall that suggested 80% of voters will vote straight ticket Republican or Democrat this year. Um, you know, so if there are very few undecideds, and, and my joke is, do you know any? You know anybody <laughs> who's going to vote but is not yet decided, Trump or Biden? Like, I think pretty, people are pretty, pretty enthusiastic or locked in to one or the other. Uh, and so it's a turnout election. And um, the reason turnout statistics look different is because it's, is it percentage of registered voters or voting age population? You get different numbers uh, depending on, on how you do the math. But um, what's really key is if everybody has sort of decided, except the six people Kristen knows who are undecided in a bunker somewhere and not watching television, um, then the only question is, can you drive up the people who are decided um, in your column, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Um, and so you got to go find those people who are uh, typically transient, not as um, uh, well plugged into the system. And then you got to figure out how to motivate them to get to the polls. And that's if you're in a state that's a battleground, either for the U.S. Senate or for the presidency, or you live in a con uh, contested congressional election, think about the ads you're seeing in that in that regard. They're not necessarily designed to convince Kristen from one position to another as they are to make absolutely certain if she's their voter, that she gets out to the polls and casts her ballot by election day. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, would, I would guess that the increased education and awareness around your state has early voting, you can do it sooner, you have more access to that early voting, would actually probably have an impact on, the, on driving that voter turnout. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think, and I'm a believer in the American Republic, and I believe that our Republic is made better by more people's participation in it. You know, the, in preparing for our discussion this afternoon, I looked up some of the numbers and, and as a percentage of voting age po population, to give you an idea of how these numbers are different, in 20, just using the 2016 presidential election, as a percentage of voting age population, the number of uh, the population that, that could have voted, uh, 55.7% turned out. As a percentage of registered voters, that number is 86.8%, which shows you how many people just aren't registered to vote, which is why you see some of these stories about voter registrations and why those efforts by political parties can be really relevant. What's also interesting, though, is the last time the percentage of voting age population who voted in a presidential cracked 60% in America was 1968 which is an election that a lot of people draw parallels to 2020 based on the unrest that was going on then and a lot of the civil rights movement and other things that were, so there were parallels between 68 and 2020, um, which I thought was sort of an interesting comparison. Yeah, and to that point, I read recently that here in Austin, Travis County, which is the county that Austin's in, 98% of eligible voters are now registered. So somebody- How many, what was 98%. it? 98%. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it it's makes sense that Texas would be leading the country in early voting numbers. But, um, 
you know, the I, other I, interesting I, thing about that voting motivation, though, is like just as a brief detour into the mm -hmm. mechanics of campaigns. Um, in almost every state in the union, where there is early voting and absentee voting, there is a process by which campaigns can check whether you asked for one and whether it's been returned. And so it also changes the mechanics of campaigning. If I know that you that it's still sitting in your home because it hasn't shown up as registered, doesn't mean I can see how you voted, but I can just see whether or not Kristen returned it. Then I will. Then like the targeting effort will get ever more. Um, uh, enthusiastic might be the polite word, but aggressive might be the more accurate <laughs> word. If I think Kristen is one of my voters to get her to return that ballot. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I was thinking that you were going to go with zeroed in, but yeah, I mean, there you it's, go. An, it's an interesting tactic. I do want to sort of circle back around to something you said earlier for part of our larger conversation. You know, you said that the fact that you know, a lot of states won't even let you start counting until election day. And, and I think the, the number I read was about a dozen states you can't start counting until the polls close, um, will leave us to a situation where if you're in a swing state or you have a contested election, those results are much more important. And from our first conversation, one of the things that you reminded me, which, you know, I, at least I lose track of sometimes, is that there are actually 471 federal elections happening this this election season, not just the one we all talk about. And, you know, I think that that you're in a contested election, you're in a swing state, there's delay in having election results. Those sort of down ticket um, races could really drive the conversation. Wouldn't you say that that's an accurate? And, you know, what does that mean for us? For sure. I mean, when, like, um, most of our audience is really concerned about what happens with tax policy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Joe Biden's got a pretty robust, uh, which we've talked about on this podcast, we've, he's, he's got a pretty robust set of proposals and suggestions out there. Um, whether or not those can become reality is really a function of how the Senate turns. I mean, I think everybody thinks the House is largely to stay uh, stable in its agenda setting orientation, which means um, Nancy Pelosi will likely continue as speaker holding the majority there. But the Senate is very much in doubt. Um, you know, we look at uh, of the seats up this year, Alabama is considered almost a lock for the Republicans. Doug Jones, who won in the anomaly uh, there last time, um, is considered not likely to, to repeat his previous success. Mm -hmm. And so that gives Republicans a four seat margin in the Senate. Right. But if you lose, say, Arizona, Colorado, Maine, like then you're back. I mean, it, it gets to 50, 50, 51, 50, uh, 49 very quickly. Um, and that affects whether or not Joe Biden can enact uh, many of the tax proposal he's, he's affected. So you're, you're absolutely right. And it has that that's where that split ticket voting also comes into effect. Right. If if 80 percent are going to vote straight party line, like once you once I get you there, you're either going Joe Biden straight down or you're going Donald Trump straight down. That can have a real impact. Um, and you look at places like if Texas, where you're sitting today, um, how how that makes it difficult for potentially Donald Trump to go one way and John Corner to go another. Um, and that that's maybe less of a problem in Texas, but in Colorado or Maine, both of those are states that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. So Cory Gardner and Susan Collins, the Republican incumbents there, they need to increase that split ticket voter 
if the, Donald Trump's going to lose their state, which I think he's likely to in Colorado and Maine, they've got to get a lot of people to say they're voting Joe Biden, Susan Collins. Um, and that's ever more increasingly difficult to do, particularly as this election, you know, in addition to being a turnout election, is so dominated by the president, which is, you know, clearly the way he wants it. Um, and that's, I think, why there are less undecided voters. Is there? I don't think there are very many people who don't have an opinion of Donald Trump, love him or hate him. Yeah. And I think as much as we would love to, we will not freak people out by talking about the reality of a contested election and a, a tight electoral college. Um, but what I did want to sort of bring it back to in closing, it's we're in an unprecedented era and we have no real framework to base this election on. And it's really dominating all of our conversations. What's going to happen? What does it mean? Why is there so much early voting? But I wanted to just close by reminding people that we do financial security. <laughs> we, we help people figure out how to stabilize their financial lives, how to make plans for the future, how to develop plans that will be flexible and reactive to whatever happens so that we can you know, educate people, we can have a conversation about early voting and the, the cool numbers and what it's going to mean, but also then pivot back to what it is we do and the value that we offer to our clients and their advisors. And, you know, I, I would presume that that's a lot of the conversations that you're having in Washington now, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, this is the, this year we've gone through a, a massive healthcare uncertainty, a massive economic uncertainty with lots of market volatility. And now we're looking at the potential of political uncertainty. Um, that's where that's where the profession shines because we are stability, right? We represent stability for for the clients that that you all work for. And I think that's an opportunity to be the consistency, the thing they can hold on to when everything else seems out of control. Um, and certainly through this podcast and other FinSec content, we want to arm you uh, with the ability to, to stay uh, on the cutting edge of what's happening so you can speak with authority to your clients about what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. Because ultimately, whether it's the newspapers or the media companies, their business model is to sell uh, newspapers or advertising. And they do that by attracting eyeballs and being incendiary and manifesting the fight. That's not of interest to, to us at all. We got Republicans, we got Democrats on your team, but our interest is in your work, just like your interest is in your client's work. And so you could always rely on us to tell you exactly what's going on and what is at, uh, in fact likely to happen and not likely to happen. I cannot, unfortunately, predict what 170 million Americans are going to do before they've done it. That is beyond my ability. But once <laughs> we know what they've done, we've got plans in place to deal with it on your behalf. And we just need, you know, we need to encourage more people in the profession who benefit from the work to join us in the fight uh, because there are a number of scenarios. I mean, what we think is most likely at the moment is probably a blue wave. And if we get a blue wave and you have a Democratic Senate, then we are looking at not all of the Biden tax proposals, but some of them will be uh, will be tried next year. And we've got to uh, really work with our ambassadors and, and engage with Congress to talk them through, you know, which are good ideas and which are bad ideas. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give our listeners a spoiler alert that you and I and, and NFP and Penseca are going to be working together through this election and into next year to talk about what's happening, to arm our both of our constituents with 
current information and also planning techniques so that we can be responsive, we can be aware, and we can help pivot the conversation for our clients and their advisors to the things that we can control in disability that does exist within our profession. So look forward to that content. I'm really excited about how it's going to all play out. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you all very much. It's great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time, Army. Thanks for listening to the latest episode in our new Washington Update 2020 election mini-series. We will keep you informed and up to date on the candidates and their platforms as we get closer to the presidential election. 